We're so grateful that you're here. Dave's going to tell us his story. It's going to be a testimony this morning, and we are so grateful that you are here. So come on up, Dave. Dave, I'm just going to pray for you this morning, and then the floor is yours. Right on. God, we thank you so much for the way that you uh, have ordained Dave to be here, and um, continue to pray for healing upon Russ. Thank you for Dave's willingness to uh, just share his story this morning. God, encourage our hearts. Thank you so much that you are involved in each one of our lives, and we're going to hear this morning how you've been involved in Dave's lives. Um, so we're grateful, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How is everybody today? We doing good? Awesome. That's even better than good. I like that. Okay, how many of you guys um, are suckers for stories that have good endings? Let me see hands. Yeah? And you never fails, right? I mean, you can be watching a show. You know it's going to end right. Can you stop watching that? No way, man. You got to watch it right to the very end. Today is a story with a good ending. Let me tell you a little bit about my life and why I'm here today. I grew up in Richmond back in the 1960s, and uh, it was the time of uh, the Beatles, the Monkees, the Rolling Stones, hey, and of course Elvis. <laughs> and it's when they really made muscle cars. I lived in Richmond, and if you would have seen our house on the street, it looked like any other house. Matter of fact, it looked a little nicer because my mom liked the house nice and painted and the grass cut nice, and she liked the gardens all manicured and everything. But my house was only nice on the outside. See, on the inside of my house, it was a war zone. I was raised in a massive amount of violence and Yelling and screaming and fighting and police and ambulances. They, they were just the norm at our house. A matter of fact, people used to call our house on our street the crazy house. Well, halfway through grade one, my mom and my dad got divorced. And in grade three, my mom married my second dad. But things didn't get better. As a matter of fact, they actually got worse. So it didn't take me long to figure out that it was I, me, and myself. I mean, there was nothing else. In my teen years, my mom divorced my second dad, and she got married to my third dad. I started hanging out with some of my buddies, and we started doing B&Es and getting into trouble, smoking and drinking and uh, vandalism and just plain, like I says, getting into trouble. In my, I was 19 years old, and I um, remember I was talking to my, my dad, and I said to him, I says, hey, I says, uh, when I move into my apartment here, I says, why don't I, uh, you know, come and take you out for dinner? And he says, yeah, Dave, that would be good. So after I moved into my apartment, my buddies that were helping me, they say, hey, Dave, come on, let's go to the bar. I says, no, I told my dad that I'd, you know, take him out for dinner and stuff. They says, come on, man, let's go to the bar. You can phone your dad. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know what? I can phone him tomorrow and just say, you know, something came up and we'll go out for breakfast. So I went out to the bar and did what we normally do, got drunk, came home, passed out. That night, my dad died. And I got a phone call, and I went down to the hospital, 
And I remember walking into the emergency section. My dad's body was underneath a sheet. And I walked up there and the nurse pulled the sheet back. And I remember I put my my hands on his face. And his skin was still warm. And the only thing going through my mind is the last conversation that I ever had with my dad. He was my best friend in the whole world. I remember I went home that night. And I tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't. I had this voice going off in my head that said, one day you're going to be dead and you're going to be dead forever and ever and ever and ever. And it scared the tar out of me. I mean, I had no peace. I had no hope. I had nowhere to turn. I had no idea what to do. So I just figured, you know what? (laughs) If I'm going to blink out of existence, then I might as well have some fun before I go. So I can remember me and my buddy, we went to this local gym, and I found the biggest guy in the gym, and I went up to him, and I says, hey, man, you know where I can buy some steroids? And he goes, what are you asking me for? I says, because you're the biggest dude in the gym. Well, you tell some steroid goon that he's the biggest guy in the gym, you've just created an instant friend. So he gave me some steroids. Eight weeks later, I was 35 pounds bigger. I started selling steroids for him. I ended up becoming one of the largest steroid dealers down in the Vancouver area. And then I was also involved in running steroids across the border illegally and bringing them through the airport. And I had thought, I thought, you know what, now that I'm a big tough guy, now I can start fighting and stuff. I got jobs at bars, bouncing, I got paid to beat people up, and I was making money selling drugs and all that stuff. So I figured, hey man, I've got everything that I thought that I was looking for, but guess what? I didn't. I was still looking for something and I didn't know what. So I got this job at this truck driving company. And I remember we um, we were out at the bar one night. We had this uh, baseball team. And me and this Asian guy, we were sitting at the the bar and they just finished hiring him. And he's going, Dave, man, are you ever big? He says, you like fighting? I says, I love fighting. He says, you want to make money? I says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, well, we've got people that owe us money. He says, if you'll go collect the money for us, he says, we'll give you some cash and give you some cocaine. And I'm like, you're going to pay me to go beat people up? I'm like, done deal. No problems. So I went out and started doing collections for this gang. And every time they sent me out, I got the money. Didn't matter what it was. Every time they sent me out, I brought the cash back. I ended up working my way through the gang and I ended up becoming the bodyguard for the boss of our gang. So wherever we went, I was with them packing a gun. We were doing deals with the mob, with the East End Hells Angels. We were closely associated with a gang down there called the Lotus Gang. So everywhere we went, packing a gun by the boss's side. And if anything would have happened, I would have laid my life down for this guy. I'd been in the gang for a little while, and I did this drug deal. And I should never have done the deal. And I ended up giving the money to some guy there that was supposed to get me the drugs and bring it back, and somehow the money got ripped off. 
I mean, I got in the gang to be powerful and to make lots of money, and now I was in the whole, a whole pile of money, and I had one day to get the cash back or to, or to face some absolutely life-threatening consequences. And that had me making a number of really, really bad choices in my life. Now, I had to walk around with a loaded gun on me at all times. Now I had to sleep with a gun by my bed. I mean, I got in the gang, like I says, to make cash. But now I wanted to get out of the gang. But a person in my position doesn't just get to walk out of the gang, not alive. You know, when people want to kill you, it, it takes the fun out of things. Now, it wasn't long after that that, that I met Karen. And we had spent a lot of time together. And the boss of the gang, he really, really liked her. And she knew something was up. We would go out and she says, man, you guys got way too much money. You spend way too much money. And I just says, hey, we're just smart business guys. Well, we fell in love really fast. And a few months later, we got married. And that summer, Karen said to me, she says, hey, she says, me and the kids are going up to, to Green Bay Bible Camp. You want to come? And I said, Green Bay what? And she says, it's in Kelowna. She goes, it's on the beach. And I'm thinking to myself, Kelowna in the summer. Well, right now you might not say that with all the smoke here. But normally, right? Kelowna in the summer on the beach. I'm like, I am in. No problems. So we go up there, and I remember we were just having fun that day on the beach. And then that night, they uh, had this fire pit there by the, by the water. And they started playing some music and stuff. So we went up there, and we sat down, and we're listening to the music. And I'm just like, wow, this, this music, this is unreal. And then, after they finished playing music, this guy got up, and he, and he started talking. But this guy, he talked about Jesus like he knew him. <laughs> like they were buddies, like they were friends, like they spent a lot of time together. And I'm listening to this guy. And I remember leaning over to Karen and I says, I want to talk to this guy when he's done. So after he finished speaking, Karen went up to him. She says, hey, look, my husband wants to talk to you. She goes, he's not a Christian. I don't know what he wants to say to you. And back then, I was a pretty intimidating guy. So after everyone was gone, he came up and he sat down. He says, Dave, he says, I understand you want to talk to me. And I says, yeah. I says, you know what? I says, I don't know a lot about Jesus and the Bible and all that stuff. But I says, I do have one question. I said, what happens when you die? I says, is there anything? And he looked at me and... He smiled and he says, yeah, Dave. And he opened up his Bible to John 14, verses 1 to 6, and he read it. And it goes like this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back again one day to take you to be with me. And Thomas, one of the disciples, was looking at Jesus going like, I got no idea what you're talking about, Lord. And I can imagine Jesus must have looked at Thomas and the disciples and says, 
If you forget everything I've ever said to you, remember this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And I remember for the first time in my life going, this guy just finished saying that Jesus is creating a place in heaven for me and that he's going to come back again one day to take me to be with him. And I'm just freaking out inside me. I got goose pimples. I'm just like, this, this is it. This is what I've been looking for my entire life. And then I go, ah, yeah. That's just a pat answer that guy gives guys like me. So I remember kind of looking at him with this little grin going, got anything else? He did. <laughs> he says, yeah, Dave. And he opened up his Bible to John 11, verses 25 and 26. And it says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. And if you live and believe in me, you will never die. <gasps> and I remember I just melted. I'm just like, wow. And he asked me, he says, Dave, he says, are you a Christian? I says, I don't think so. He said, would you like to? I says, yeah. And he, he told me, he says, Dave, he says, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I know that. But he said, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I'm just like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And they told me the story about Jesus Christ coming here some 2,000 years ago on this rescue mission. He says, Dave, he says, Jesus came and he says, he laid his life down. He died for your sins and he went to an old rugged cross. And he says, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he says, one day you can live. He said, Jesus didn't stay dead on that cross. He said, three days later, he came back to life to prove that not even death could hold this guy down. And I can just remember going, oh, wow. So we prayed. And, uh, oh, man. I remember after we prayed, I looked at him and I says, okay, I need to ask you a question. I said, so are you telling me that when you die, you don't die? He goes, yeah. I says, no, no, no. Are you telling me that when you die, you really don't die? And he goes, yeah, Dave. <laughs> That's cool. So I remember I go running up and I find Karen. She's walking up around one of the cabs. I says, babe, 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 you're not going to believe this. <laughs> when you die, you don't die. She's like, yeah. I said, no, you don't believe. When you die, you don't die. She goes, you need some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So now what? We go home, camp's over, and I knew I couldn't go back to the gang. What do I do? So I, I just did what I figured I should do. I prayed. <laughs> and I figured, you know what? If Jesus wants me to stay alive, he'll keep me alive. So I didn't go back to the gang. I stopped phoning them. I stopped hanging out with them. All I wanted to do was tell people about this awesome gift that Jesus wants to give them. And Karen and I got involved in everything we could at church. I remember I went to the pastor and says, Hey, I gave my life to Jesus Christ up at Green Bay. He says, 
you should be an usher. I said, is that what you're supposed to do? He says, yeah, you're a big guy. I said, okay. And then I, and he says, Dave, you need to get baptized. Is that what you're supposed to do? I go, yeah, okay, I'll get baptized. Dave, you need to give your testimony. I'm like, what? Okay, yeah, you know, tell people about your life before and after Jesus. Is that what you're supposed to do? Yeah, okay, so I did all that stuff. And we, we, were, we ended up, we were Sunday school teachers. We were youth leaders. It was just a hoot. We were having a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, yeah, it was, just, <laughs> it was good. I remember, I remember, I had this passion for reading God's word. And uh, I trained at this gym in Langley where there was a lot of bikers, a lot of hell's angels, uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, rough dudes, if you, if, you know, if you know what I mean. And uh, there was this one dude there. His name's Lorenz. This guy was huge. Full sleeve tattoos. I mean, this guy flossed his teeth with chain. He was big. <laughs> and I remember one time I was talking to him and he used the, la- the name of Jesus the wrong way. And I says, come on, man. Say anything else, but don't say that. And he goes, don't tell me you're one of them. And I went, yeah, I am. Now, you got to understand, this is a 10,000 square foot gym. This guy, I tell you, his timing was impeccable. So what this guy would do is it never filled. There was three times that I know specifically that this happened. He was at one end of the gym. I'm at the other end of the gym. And he would yell out at the top of his lungs, Hey, preacher man! And he would ask me some spiritual question. And I'd be sitting there going, Jesus, this would be a good time for you to come back, you know. But the Lord would give me the answers to these things. And I was like, wow, that was sweet. And he would get mad. He would just get mad. Now, I remember the last time that Lorenz came up and he talked to me. And I can't remember the question he asked me, but I remember I says, Lorenz, look, one day you are going to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you're going to declare him as God. He says, I will never do that. I says, it's in the book. Read it. And the guy goes, I don't know why I like you, but I do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I got a little lost there. It was too good. <laughs> now, about six months after that, my, um, my third dad found out that he had terminal cancer. And... Um, I remember Karen and I went over to uh, my mom's house there. And my mom opened the door and I says, Mom, I says, we got to talk to Joe. I says, I says we got to make sure, you know, that he, ex- you know, he asked Jesus Christ into his heart to be his Lord and Savior. I says, I really want to see him in heaven. My mom says, there will be no God talk in our house. I was a new believer. I obeyed her. We've all heard about near-death experiences, yeah? And you hear these stories about this bright light and what, horses and everything is fluffy and beautiful and all that stuff. You're only hearing one side of those stories. Let me tell you a real one. The night before my dad died, we were in a semi-private room. I was lying in the bed Beside him, my mom was in one of those chairs. We were all sleeping. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And my dad yelled out top of his lungs. And he goes, Dave, tell those demons that they're not allowed in here. And I remember I sat up and I, the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. I was freaked out. 
I had no idea what to do. But I got to tell you guys that that night absolutely changed my life. Because I never wanted to see anyone ever experience the fear and anguish that my dad did while he was dying. So I did everything I could to tell people about what happens to you when you die. Now, you guys are probably going, yeah, well, what about this gang stuff? What happened with that? Well, it's interesting because what ended up happening was there was a gang that uh, we were having a rivalry with that had put a hit out on me, and they had four bosses. Three of those bosses all got killed. One of them committed suicide. My boss in my gang got put in jail for life, so all ties that I had to all the gang life were completely severed. I was a free man. Let's fast forward now to 2004, May of 2004. We just buried my mom who died of cancer. Right at the same time, I I wasn't feeling very good. I'd been kind of feeling off for a while. And we came up uh, that that August to uh, Green Bay Bible Camp. I spent just about that whole week in bed. I was just feeling sick. We went back home and we went to the doctors and uh, they found out that I had a very rapid form of stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and bone cancer. As they finished doing all the tests on me, I ended up having a tumor on the bottom of my spine. I had cancer in my liver, my kidneys. My lymph node on my neck here was all uh, swollen up, pushing down on my airway, making it hard uh, hard for me to breathe. I went into the hospital for, for our, my first chemo, and um, was it that night, babe, after the chemo? They gave me my chemo in the afternoon, and that, that night my body started going into renal failure. And the nurse came up to Karen, and she said to her, she says, what have the doctors told you about your husband? She says, they haven't said anything. She says, this makes me mad. She says, he's dying. He says, the vitals have been dropping all day. I owned my own semi and trailer and stuff at home. It was parked in the, in the driveway. I was freaked out trying to figure out, I don't want to leave my wife and my kids. I got this truck. What's she going to do with it? We're making life and death situations. And so Karen did. She prayed. The Lord says, call Brad. Brad was a guy that was kind of like me, ex-biker guy. She says, Brad, she says, they say he's, Dave's going to die. Brad came down to the hospital. He just prayed. Nothing fancy. Nothing crazy. Jesus, if you would, heal Dave. About 45 minutes later, my vitals started coming up. Hmm. I got to say, though, Without a doubt, this was the hardest, scariest thing that I had ever, ever gone through in my entire life. I, I wish no one would ever have to experience this type of illness. I don't know why I lived through this. I mean, I believe that, that, that Jesus healed me because our doctor, every time I see this guy, he calls me the miracle man. I says, no, I'm not the miracle man. I says, I can introduce you to him. He says, Dave, you have no idea what I'm saying. He says, you should not 
be here. I had a 5% chance of living. But guess what? If Jesus ain't done with you, you ain't done. Hmm. All this to say that one day, uh, one day will be your last day here on earth. And then that's it. After that, it'll be too late to change your eternal destiny. When you take your last final breath here on earth, you will instantaneously take your first breath in eternity. Now, if you're a Christian, it, it is going to be the best day of your life. And if you're not, it'll be the worst day of your life. You know, Jesus himself said that there are only two destinations when you die, heaven or hell. And he spoke more about hell than all the other writers of the Bible combined because Jesus knows the severity and the horrors of that eternal place. So this is the way it goes, guys. If you want to live life your way, if you want to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, you don't want to answer to no one. That's it. Jesus is saying, fine, you've got it. If that's how you want to live, you got it. But heaven will not be your home. Hmm. See, he's not going to force you to accept his son Jesus Christ into his life. He won't do that. Like I said, you've got to know, if you want to live that way, you will not be in heaven. But let me say to you today, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to ask Jesus Christ into your heart? I mean, let's look at my life. I mean, I came from a broken family. Uh, I was living a life of absolute fear. I was in all kinds of trouble. I was hooked on drugs. I was a thief. I was a liar. I was a gangbanger. I destroyed people's lives. But, but Jesus still pursued me. As messed up as I was, he reached down from heaven. And as Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you will open the door and invite me in, Jesus says, I will dine with you. You know, we eat with people that we know, maybe even people that we don't know, but we dine with friends. Hmm. And Jesus, guys, will be your closest friend starting today if you'll invite him into your life. He'll bring peace and hope and joy and meaning and healing and understanding into your life like no other. And if, you'll, if you're like me, he'll take away your fear of death. Because listen to this, guys. He's creating a beautiful new home for you in heaven. Revelation 21.4. Revelation 21.4. God says that there will be no more crying, no more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. Think about this, guys. No death. No pain. No sadness. No sickness. There will be no 
pharmacies, there will be no hospitals, there will be no police departments. And best of all, God himself will be there. Let's close our eyes. I want to pray for you. Father, this day you have spoken to us through your word. Scriptures say that you're creating a, a new place for us, a place in heaven, beautiful beyond comprehension, a place, Lord, where there'll be no more tears or anger, no sorrow, no pain, never have to say goodbye. And I just pray, Lord, for each and every person that's in this place here today, that if you would like to know for a certain that when you take your final breath here on earth, that you will take your first breath in heaven. This is what I want you to do. I want everyone to keep their eyes closed. If you want me to pray with you and lead you in a prayer that will ensure your salvation today, just stick your hand up. No one's looking. Let me pray for you. No one's looking. Maybe you've um, been a Christian for a while, but man, life has just been hammering at you. And you're sitting there going, Lord, I need to come back to you. I need help. I can't do this on my own. If that's you, put your hand up. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we come to you to this day. And I just pray, Father, that those that put their hands up today would have, um, that you would knock on the door of their heart, that they would invite you in, Lord, that you would show them that you are real and that you can help them, that you change lives, Lord, that you do what no one else can do because you are the great I am. So I ask, Father, that those that don't know you today would say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things that have not pleased you. And Jesus I believe that you went to that cross and died in my place so that you could secure a place for me in heaven. So I want to repent. I want to turn from the way I've been running my life, Lord. I want to turn around instead of running from you, running away from you. I want to run to you. So Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Show me what it means to be your daughter, your son a follower of you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, gang.